0: Hey, what's up, you guys? This is Matt McCoy. Welcome to Season 2 of the Loop Community Podcast. We're changing things up and how we do things around here, so hope you enjoy it. If you love this podcast, please do us a huge favor. Rate it, share it, and leave a review. It means a lot. Enjoy. Enjoy.
1: Well, a worship leader is actually not necessary. So the question really has to be is, if I'm actually not necessary, how do I help them sing to one another? And if I'm not helping them sing to one another, kindly of get out of the way.
0: What's up? Welcome to the Loop Community Podcast. We're passionate about providing tools and resources to help you run tracks easy, make it simple for you. I'm here with John Guerra. What's up, John? Hey. We're down here in your studio. Once again. And... Uh, Man, I love this new format we're trying because I think uh, yeah, me too. I get some good thoughts and I get to just hang with a good friend. Totally. But we've spent, how many hours have we spent just talking about worship? You know, over the past like seven years that we've known each other and I think finally we get microphones in front of us where we get to totally <laughs> let everybody hear in on these conversations. Try not to be too incendiary. So John, yesterday was Father's Day mm-hmm. and I got to tell you this story because I think you'd appreciate this okay. as like a musician because I know like as a musician, when you're at parties, people ask you like, hey, pull out your guitar. Right. And I'm like, hey, can you sing us a song? And you like put on the spot.
2: Totally. Well,
0: I have a similar story, except for I kind of put myself on the spot. Oh, god! Last night, we're at Father's Day. And we have a bunch of family over to our house for dinner. And my father-in-law, he's, he's like, you know, getting ready to pray for the meal. And he always, you know, wants to say some sort of like mini inspirational moment. Yeah. And he's like, you know, this morning at church, they sang a song, Good, Good Father. And uh, I was just really blessed by those lyrics. And he's like, Matt, what are the lyrics to that song? And I'm like <laughs> So I recite the lyrics. And then he's like he's like, you know that's You just, do it with
2: the repeats. <laughs> yeah, right. You're a good, good father. It's who it's you who are. are. It's who you are. It's who you are. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. And uh, I think I may have actually. <laughs> <laughs> and so I recite and then he's like, you know, that's just a good reminder for us all that, you know, God is our father and on Father's Day, blah, blah, blah. And he said something really nice and then prayed. Well, then, you know, the night goes on, we're sitting in the living room, everyone's going around and kind of sharing like stories about trips, people are putting up photos on the TV, putting up videos, and we're just kind of having a good time.
2: Having a share, like an art share. Yeah, a
0: little share. And I get the idea of, huh, maybe I should get my guitar. I don't know why I did this. I put myself on the spot. (laughs) I'm like, I should get my guitar and maybe we can sing Good, Good Father. (sighs) And I was thinking, I'll sing it over them.
2: And this is just a family gathering. Yeah, right, It's like right. Family Father's Day.
0: Yeah, and not everybody there are Christians. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, oh. <laughs> so I'm like, well, maybe we'll sing Good, Good Father. So I go get my guitar. And the problem, and this is where I made a mistake, is that I didn't know the lyrics to Good, Good Father. So I pull the lyrics up on my phone and airplay it to the TV. Okay. And I get my guitar. I walk in. Everyone's looking at me like, what are you doing? And I'm like, hey, I just thought maybe before we go, we sing the song Good, Good Father that Brad talked about earlier. And everyone's like... Okay, <laughs> so I start playing the song and singing it, and again, the lyrics are on the TV only because I needed the lyrics because I didn't know them. Mm-hmm. But I think because I put the lyrics up on the TV, everyone thought that they had to sing along. Oh my word! And probably because I also maybe said, "Let's sing, good, good father." Yeah, I shouldn't have set it up. Was Mary
2: mortified, or was she? I like, think she pom- was
0: mortified. <laughs> <laughs> I think she was looking at me like, "Matt, I cannot rescue you from this one." <laughs> So I put the lyrics up and we start singing it and everybody's kind of like awkwardly looking around. Yeah. And oh, some people gosh. are singing really quietly under their breath. Oh. You know, like people aren't singing it very loud, which is fine. That's actually not what I intended, but I felt bad that I put people in that position. Oh, man. And it was just because I put the lyrics up on the screen. I'm like, oh, man, this feels like I'm really train wrecking here. <laughs> that like, is hilarious. I'm at a church that does not want to sing with me. Totally. But
2: that's a perfect segue to today's episode. Keith Getty, he's got a lot of thoughts about singing, corporate singing, family singing. And I mean, <laughs> that story is so painful. There's so many ways that singing as a group can go wrong and so many ways that it can go right. And it's an interesting thing that you know, a lot of us assume that singing is just what you do when you go to church. Has it always been that way? How did we get there? These are some mm. things that Keith talks about. I'm sorry that you drove your car into that ditch at Father's Day, Matt. Yeah. But perhaps Keith Getty can help us figure out why that was so painful. Without further ado, Keith Getty.
0: Keith, thanks so much for joining us on the Luke Unity Podcast. It's good to talk with you. Thanks. You've written so many songs that many worship leaders have played, you know, probably specifically at an Easter service. I'm sure worship leaders who are listening to this have played in Christ alone or the power of the cross or Christ is risen. These are all songs you've written, and uh, you've just been a huge influence in the worship world just for many years. And I um, know that a lot of worship pastors really look up to you, and I want to talk a little bit about a couple things. One, you have a conference called Sing, and we'll talk about that in a second, but you also have a book called Sing. And the excerpt um, on the book says, Keith and Kristen Getty write to church members to remind them why the church should sing, when the church should sing, and how the church should sing. And Keith, I'm just wondering if maybe we can just kind of give us like little summaries on each of those points. Let's just walk through each one of those things. And I would love to hear your heart behind this. So why should the church sing?
1: Well, we sing for, really, I guess you could say three reasons. Number one, the Bible commands us to sing. In fact, if you take singing and extolling and exalting and praising and put all those in the one bucket, it's actually the most common command in Scripture. In other words, singing is an extraordinarily important thing to God. So in other words, when we find people who don't sing, we should question them. And when we find church leaders who don't encourage singing, we need to question that as well. So we sing, first of all, because the Bible commands us to. We do it out of obedience. We do it because we're commanded to. The second thing is that we sing because we're created to sing, all of us, are created to sing, not just my wife, who, who's a great singer, or someone who's a very emotional person who comes from a musical family. And but actually, those of us who are stoic and can't really sing in tune and are engineers and get all our excitement in life from sport, we still are created to sing. God has created each one of us. I have three daughters, and uh, we sing a hymn each month, and um, we're singing "Holy, Holy, Holy" one month. So my oldest sang it perfectly because she's an alpha oldest. Child, always trying to be perfect and please your own. My second child sang it with a little bit of reluctance and a little bit of attitude because she's a middle child and she's got a little bit of attitude. And my third child, she sang, Holy, 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 how I wonder what you are up above the world so high, like a diamond in the sky. And the point was. I love them all equally because I am their father listening to them saying It's a good way to illustrate how God listens to all of us singing. You know, uh, Despite our failed understanding, despite our failed abilities, it is not the professionalism of our singing, it's the confessionalism that is what is important. God has created each of us to sing, and the Bible says that multiple times we're created to praise. And finally we Sing because the gospel compels us to sing, doesn't it? You know, when, when the Bible says something about the wonders of God, our God is our strength and refuge, or it talks about the wonderful salvation that we have, then it always goes to, and I will sing. It is how we respond throughout history, whether it is in the Old Testament in, in times of triumph, in times of trial, whether it's in the New Testament with Paul and Silas in prison or the early church, whether it is christ himself when the gospel takes hold of people's lives how can we keep from singing so we sing because we're commanded we sing because god has created us to sing and we sing most of all because there's good news yeah. that is the only hope for the world compels us to sing
0: yeah that's so good and i feel like we kind of have a worship culture sometimes right now where it feels very spectator and people you know guys are leading their church in worship but maybe everyone just stands there with a coffee cup in their hand and watches them
1: well, a worship leader is actually not necessary. I mean, I know it's not what you're supposed to say on a, on a podcast, but they're really not. We're commanded to get together as a group of people and to encourage one another, study the Scriptures with one another, to pray together and to sing. That's what the Scripture commands us to do. So the command is for all of us to sing to each other. Whether or not you choose to have some guy in the middle or at the front helping That is an option. What is the command? Is that the body of believers gather together and sing to one another? So the question really has to be is, if I'm actually not necessary how do I help them sing to one another? And if I'm not helping them sing to one another, kindly get out of the way.
0: Wow. Yeah, why am I up there then if I'm not helping? Wow. Okay, so this is very, very interesting. Okay, so the next question would be, so when should the church sing?
1: Well, we sing as a body of people together. We sing because we're commanded to sing as family, but actually it affects every part of our life. So in the book, we talked about how it affects individuals Then actually how it affects our families, how singing affects our marriage, how it affects our children growing up to know the Lord. Then we take the circles out further to the church. We sing as a church. We meet together to sing together. And then finally that singing is a witness to the world. So really what the four level singing is we sing as individuals. And a lot of people, you know, they like to split teaching and singing as almost as two separate things. John Piper holds it because of expository exaltation. In other words, preaching is worship, singing is engaging with the Word. So in other words, they're all, in a sense, part of the same thing. Well, why we started the same conference was that was Martin Luther, 502 years ago, said, as I read the Old Testament and I read the New Testament, I said the church fathers, it seemed God's people learned their faith in significant part through what they sing. Indeed, he went on to say, reformation will happen through the preaching and the singing of the word. And said that the preachers will open the scriptures and explain it to you so you understand it better, and you will carry it out of church through the songs that you sing. In other words, you're not carrying it out of church by the preacher's sermon or by the last five minutes of his application or by the notes that you take, you're carrying it out by the words that you sing because you're singing them to your memory and your soul and your emotions and your whole being. And so what we sing affects profoundly how each of us understand God and how each of us live the Christian life. It affects my behavior on a Wednesday is affected by what I sing on a Sunday. So we have to choose our songs carefully. We have to make sure that we're painting a true, big and deep and rich picture of the God of the Scriptures. We have to make sure that in the same way as the Bible is very vulnerable and open about every human emotion, so our songs have a sense of lament and still reverence and holiness, as well as celebration and joy. If the gospel is going to fill every part of our lives in our songs, have to be full of the gospel, and if all of us sing because one day we're going to stand before God in eternity, our songs have to be filled with eternity. When I started writing worship songs, one of my concerns was, there was a survey done about what was being sung in Britain 20 years ago, and um, I can't speak for certain here, but I think it's a little similar. And uh, 75% of the classic hymns have a very strong emphasis on eternity. The Psalms, 80% of the Psalms have an emphasis on eternity. Christ talks about hell more than any person in history. Paul in the New Testament constantly talking about eternity. And three out of 182 songs in the main contemporary Christian worship songbook mentioned heaven, hell, judgment, or any sense of eternity, which is less than 2% wow. of the songs were doing that. Yeah. So, if we're not singing about eternity, I'm pretty certain that our congregations are going to be narcissistic people living for the now. Wow. Do you know what I mean? And so oh, yeah. and so, senior pastors who are listening to this, I hope you love your congregation enough to care what they sing about. Worship leaders, I hope you care enough to help, help with the songs and even to ask your pastor's advice and to work along with them in that. And I hope, worship leaders, you are deep in the Word every day if you're going to be helping build this congregation. So that, that's the first one. Shall we go on to families?
0: Well, let me just stop for one second, and just say I think that these are really important things to that worship leaders need to be thinking about because it's crazy. What you're saying is actually feels very opposite to what I feel like I see in the worship like culture so much of like a people are coming to church and they're not singing, and b, the songs that they are singing if they are, are pretty shallow in lyrics. I mean, like they're not saying a whole lot. So this is a pretty major. I feel like shift in thinking, my question for you, just a quick question would be, why do you think churches are so resistant to this? Churches aren't embracing these modern hymns as quickly.
1: Well, there's a, number, there's a number of factors. Um, first of all, you know, the, the modern worship movement is in significant part. In fact, the primary drivers behind the modern worship movement are the Christian music industry, number one, and the Christian radio industry, number two. And both of those are now primarily owned by Wall Street. So these are organizations that are making decisions from the top down on short-term profitability. And I have many friends who work on both who are godly, godly people with godly families. But the decision-making of the main influencers is how do we make a profit In the next three months, six months, and at very best, 24 months. And so there isn't really a long term thinking. You know, even when hymn books were created 50 years ago, they were a business too. So people can't be getting on their high horse about that. But a hymn book was saying, What are the songs that can be sung for the duration of this publication? What are the songs that can be sung for 30 years, for 40 years, for 50 years? So it was still a different, it was still a business model that was slightly healthier than this. So I think that's part of it, and I think that has created a culture. And then I think our worship leaders need to be students of the Word. So I think the second thing is we need to be building deep worship leaders who both are students of the Word and whose pastors are involved in what they're doing. Yeah. And thirdly, we need to actually understand why we sing in the first place. So that, that's really why the book came out. It was 500 years after Luther's Reformation. Luther famously brought congregational singing back to the Church. So we, we wrote this thing 500 years after the Reformation. We wanted to ask the question, would Luther say the Church needs to be reformed again?
0: Yeah, that's great. All right, so let's jump into family singing.
1: This is probably the, the area that, that we've had to learn a lot about in the last few years. I remember once I was in California, and uh, somebody had arranged a meeting at Panera Bread with Dr. John MacArthur. So, of course, I was terrified. I wouldn't say the wrong thing, get something wrong. And Of course, he was as sweet as can be when I met him. And I was talking about parenthood. And he goes, you know, he says, filling your home with songs of the Lord is a significant part of parenthood. It was where life happens in your bedrooms and in your kitchens and in your, in your living spaces. Fill them with songs of the Lord so your children grow up, knowing the scriptures, loving the scriptures, loving church life, and constantly singing these truths to themselves in ways that are beautiful and delightful to them. And uh, so that was a real important challenge to me I'm walking in a horse paddock while I 'm talking to you here in County Derry in Ireland, and the Bishop of Derry one hundred and fifty years ago uh, was Bishop Alexander and his wife was so concerned that children were singing shallow songs that she um set the Apostles' Creed to poetry which she turned into hymns to teach the next generation of children to grow up and so We believe in one God, maker of heaven and earth. Was how it starts her hymn inspired by the phrase maker of heaven and earth was all things bright and beautiful, all creatures great and small, all things wise and wonderful, the Lord God made them all. The purple-headed mountain, the river running by, the sunset in the morning that brightens up the sky, the cold wind in the winter, the pleasant summer sun. And it goes on and explains through all the human senses and helps children understand that they're fearfully and wonderfully made, that they have dignity, they have value that they have importance, that they have a creator and that they have a redeemer. And so she helped children in schools and churches around the world for 150 years sing sing this truth to themselves because she understood that she said if we don't build deep believers with children, they're not going to survive the next generation. And I think when I look at my children and the challenges they're going to have and when your worship leaders, maybe some of them are beginning to have kids and they're watching the internet and watching the news, the challenges our kids are going to have are so far beyond what the challenges of previous generations are we need to build deep believers and part of that is prayer part of that is scripture part of that is church but part of that is kids who sing the truths of the faith deep into themselves each day and each night as they grow up and it's so important in our families you know that with all the things we do i'm tomorrow taking my girls around to the horse riding place around the corner we're we're going out to the beach we're going to go shopping we're going to go to run some errands we got some visitors coming around some young girls i like to hang out with and we've got loads of things. If I don't have time, all of those things are good, and all of those things to demonstrate love and friendship and activity and all that kind of stuff. But but if I don't make time and ensure that I'm singing to them songs that are eternal, songs of mm-hmm. eternal life songs that they will remember when they're fifty, when they're at university, when they're twenty, when they're thirty and thinking so of getting married, right? When they're forty and raising their own kids, when they're fifty and hearing they might have cancer. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Then I have failed as a parent. So, so we've tried to, you know, do basic things. We, we sing a hymn every night, the same hymn for the month. We're trying to just sing things into their, into their lives and into their hearts and into their minds that'll really, you know, inspire them to grow up with, with deep faith.
0: I have a new two-month-old at home, and I do see the importance of this for sure. What does it look like in the Getty house? Do you gather around a piano, or do you sing an cappella or
1: the nighttime thing is the hymn. So we we'll sing a beautiful hymn, like, like, Holy, 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 or we've done things like Jesus Loves Me. We've done, we actually just did a modern hymn, uh, His Mercy Is More, last night. We did uh, How Marvelous, How Wonderful, um, just these beautiful hymns that just teach the faith to the kids. We just done Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. They learn these songs, and uh, honestly, it depends how tired we are. You know, sometimes we just go up, and we just sing a couple of verses unaccompanied, or we sing it with the iPhone and have the kids sing along to it. Which is great. Wow, that's great. Um, then in the mornings, we, we you know usually Sunday mornings with some other, we just make little playlists of, of scripture songs that, that that they love to sing or they love to dance to, and we just fill the house with just enjoying, enjoying more sort of simple truths that kind of stuff. So we do, do a bunch of that stuff, and sometimes we play the piano. Yeah. Um, We just got a piano in the house this week in in the north coast of Ireland. So we've been doing quite a lot of that. But I wouldn't pretend we do it all the time. We're doing it more this week because we've got a new
0: piano. (laughs) No, I love that. I grew up with my dad always singing scripture songs to me on his guitar every night. And I still remember those songs. You know, they still pop into my head randomly um, at different times. So I think that's so important.
1: I will say, if your congregation are singing the hymns that you're doing on Sunday and the songs in their homes during the week, on their iPads, being encouraged to teach their kids the songs even sometimes sending the songs in advance if you know them, the engagement with Sunday worship, it will transform. Do you know what I mean? So encourage the folks to sing to their kids. We have lots of other sort of fun stuff we do, but there's just something good about being able to sing the songs that we sing on Sundays in our home. You know, yeah. Because ultimately singing helps bring Sunday into Monday. It really does. You know, It helps you remember Sunday. Right. You know?
0: Right. So we've talked about the why, the when, and what about the how? Like how should the church be singing?
1: well as congregations i think we have to really i mean first of all it's understanding isn't it you know theologically we sing you know when we get to heaven we have this picture of every tribe and tongue and nation and language of people singing to their creator singing to their redeemer Um, and that is the picture of heaven and the foretaste of heaven is god's people singing in a sunday it's not the guy at the front it's not the preaching it's not success or whatever else it's God's people getting together to sing to one another. So we have to teach our congregations, our pastors and our have to teach our congregations why it's so important. We have to encourage our congregations why it's so important. And we've got to learn how to help them sing better. we got to yes. choose songs that they sing well. we got to prepare meticulously and lead well, or accompany them well. I, I prefer to use the phrase accompany the congregation mm-hmm. when they sing rather than lead the congregation. When I'm performing a concert somewhere, or playing piano in a, in a concert hall, that's Quite often, that's to perform. Do you know what I mean? But this right. is not. When I'm playing piano for congregation to sing, I'm, I'm just trying to help the folks sing better. You know? So
0: how can a worship pastor get their church to sing more?
1: I think part of it is our relationship with our senior pastors and talking about it. I, th- I think it starts with, with spiritual conversion. We want serious believers who want to live by God's Word. That's the first thing. Secondly, I think it's working with our senior pastor and the two of you going together, pastors that care, um, is really important. I think singing songs that sing well and that are worth singing and that join the body of people together is important. I think then building our music teams up to realize that, you know, especially, you know, the, the crazy drummer or, or the girl that sings and really wants to be on stage, do you know what I mean? Encouraging her that a good result this morning is seeing the congregation sing well. So after you finish, when you go backstage and you're eating donuts or whatever or having coffee together, the first question you should, as a leader, you should be saying, Well, guys, how did we do today? There's not a lot of reviewing. And I think it's helpful to say, Guys, just I want to talk to you. How, how do you feel the congregation saying, if our job was to help our church family saying, How did we do this morning? Do you know what I mean? And, wow.
0: Yeah. Instead of just talking about the performance.
1: Yeah. I'm not trying to be mechanical about it. I'm not trying to despiritualize something that is deeply spiritual. But I think we, we have to say, How are we helping them Saying so that becomes the goal.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's good. So let's just say I'm at a church that's only playing, you know, Hillsong Bethel music. How can I convince my church? How can I start incorporating these kind of, you know, deep spiritual hymns?
1: Well, I think I think it becomes the why first. You know, why do you want to do it? Well, we, is it because of a stylistic thing? Is it because of a personality thing? Is it because of a trend? And if it's any of those things, that's not a good enough reason. Do you know what I mean? We, I think we want to sing deeper songs because we want to know the Lord in a deeper way, and what we sing affects that. There's something about. Singing, holy, 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 that makes us take our faith a little bit more seriously, isn't there? And, and even amongst Hillsong songs, there's something about singing, O praise the mm-hmm. name of the Lord our God, that gives us a beautiful picture of the gospel that is so extremely helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, so we want to build, we want to grow in our faith. I think part of it is growing deeper in the Word, and part of that is singing deeper in the Word. I always encourage people, I tell the story of when I went to live in Switzerland, my wife and I went to live in Switzerland, and uh, I, I hated scallops until... This chef, who was a crazily funny guy, really, really got me to like scally He showed me how he cooked them. He put some bacon in them, and he put this other stuff, and suddenly I became this massive fan. We cultivate a taste. So make a goal for this year to teach four modern hymns to your churches, and what you do is you find the love language of the church. So if the love language of the church is, we like certain CCM artists or Christian radio, or if the love language of the church is, we like to hear certain people sing them, or we like to learn them in advance, or we like to hear the story behind them, and we find out what the love language is, and we take four for this year. So you could take something like In Christ Alone, or Sovereign Grace of a Wonderful Song called Before the Throne of God Above. You know, songs like this you can take, and um, Mercy is More by Matt Papa and Matt Boswell or He will hold me fast by Matt Mercer. You know these songs are being recorded by major artists, and so you can you can hear their versions of them. You can send them around to the congregation, Spotify, and encourage them to listen to them. And then, say, we're going to do it on Sunday, you explain why it's important. Then you do it two or th- you probably do it two or three times over a period of time just to help them chew on it. Um, and so, over a period of a year, if you teach four of them and do them several times each, so that you're doing one every maybe three weeks. And the next year, you build it to doing six of them, then eight of them, then 10 of them, then 12 of them, and suddenly within five years, you have learned 40 hymns, and you really have got a hymnal worth of hymns that your church know and love, and you've changed the culture. So I tend to go that direction. I tend to work with the people I have, and yeah, right. I just enjoy doing that.
0: It seems to be leaning way more into the pastoral side of leading worship instead of just playing songs for the sake of playing songs, but really teaching why. Like you know, what does the Bible say about this?
1: Yeah, no, well, exactly.
0: So, as we're wrapping up here, I know you got the sing conference coming up. Give worship leaders just an idea of what they could expect when they come to that. Like, what makes sure. it so different than other worship conferences? And
1: it's really it's in five segments. It's journeying through the life of Christ. So, it's um, day one. We're doing the incarnation, and we got Professor John Lennox from Oxford and DA Carson, part of the Gospel Coalition, coming to speak. That night, we do concerts at the Grand Ole We're doing a new TBN recording, on new Christmas show. Tuesday morning, we're looking at Christ's death and sufferings Mark Dever, John MacArthur speaking. We've got Triple E involved in that. We've got um, a bunch of songs built around Christ's sufferings and death. And Tuesday afternoon, there's lots of seminars, lots of really great practical stuff for worship leaders right across the board. And people like... uh, People like Ellie Holcomb and uh, others guesting, Andrew Peterson, uh, guesting and talking about creativity. Then Tuesday night, we're in the resurrection, which is going to be Piper speaking about the explosive power of the resurrection. We've got John Erickson Tata sharing some of her story. We've got Shane and Shane, a bunch of other singers all celebrating the resurrection. Then on Wednesday, we move first of all to the Great Commission and Graham Lott talking about the legacy. And then we finish in the final one on, on the subject of heaven. And Anne Graham Loss is going to be doing a hymn sing of songs as she longs for heaven. I think the great thing about this year is you get lots of great you know, old hymns and new hymns for the church. But the other thing about this year is you get so many ideas for how to do Christmas, how to do Easter. How to do evangelism and mission. We're hoping everybody goes away with just bags and boxes of ideas, of, of resources to really help people do Christmas and Easter and evangelism and outreach better in their churches. We're, we're, we're so excited.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And I know we're going to be there. I'm really excited to be there. We've been partnering with Getty Music. We give away a free hymn every single month to all of our users. This conference, I haven't been yet, but I'm excited because I'm excited for the depth and the knowledge and wisdom that's going to be poured out there. Like the people who are there are just worship fathers. And so I thank you so much for just spending the last, you know, 30 minutes with us, just pastoring the worship leaders at Loop. Make sure you check out the Getty Sing Conference and the Getty Sing Book. Uh, You can get those at gettymusicworshipconference.com. And make sure you come. We're going to be there when to have a booth, and we would love to see you and just dive deeper into leading our churches into worship.
1: And we want to say thank you as well to the Lip community for their encouragement of us and just the, the absolute joy that Joyce and our whole team have in working for us. So Thank you for the work that you guys are doing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We'll see you soon. All right, Matt. Keith Getty. Keith Getty. This was a tough topic for me personally, because I don't know about you, John, but I did not grow up in a church with hymns at all. Hmm. Like My wife, Mary, grew up in a Catholic church. She can tell you all sorts of different hymns. mm I've even asked her, I'm like, what are your favorite hymns? And she'll say them and I've never heard it in my life. Yeah. Because <laughs> she won't even give me like the standard, like, you know, amazing grace or yeah. as well with my soul. Like there's something totally different. Hymn number 477. Or, yeah. I didn't grow up with hymns, so I don't know them. Mm. And I think because I don't know them, I'm also like, then not really open to them. It's like one of those things where you're not comfortable. If you're not comfortable with it, yeah. it's kind of maybe the last thing you like gravitate yeah, yeah, yeah. towards. Right, right. I go towards what I'm comfortable with, which yep. would be passion and Hillsong. And, yeah. So, this is always an interesting topic to me because I do know that hymns are a lot older than me. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so it's like I almost feel like I am going against what the church has done for hundreds and hundreds of mm-hmm. years. Like, like, really, Matt McCoy? Like, you really think that you know what's best instead of versus like what the church has been singing for hundreds of years? You know what I mean? Totally. It's an interesting topic.
2: Yeah. A hymn. I think I grew up with hymns. I, I grew up in kind of a mixture of both. My dad's a pastor and I think he always encouraged hymns to be sung in addition to like praise courses. And I didn't grow up with this it's either or. Yeah. I think I kinda of grew up where both of them were valued for their own contribution to the life of the church. What I appreciate about a hymn, a good hymn, really gives the value of the contribution is more in the content than it is in the like the melody or like
0: the presentation of it,
2: the presentation of it. Yeah. Um, which is what I appreciate. Like as a songwriter, as somebody who loves poetry, I love reading. I love thickness. Sometimes when I'm going to church and I'm not leading, I'm not ready to be emotionally engaged, but I can engage with like a story. And if there's four stanzas and it's going through this whole thing, mm-hmm. it really can like stir me just cause I'm, which is so funny. I, I'm an emotional person, but I'm also, I think the majority of my life Monday through Saturday is more spent like trying to engage in Richness through word, through writing,
0: and yeah, you love novels poetry and
2: poetry and philosophy. honestly, things that move me the most these days have less to do with content. like certain yeah. ideas really make me excited. Yeah, I remember the hymn how firm a foundation when I heard that in college, I was leading worship at school and would lead that almost every time. It was like nine stanzas, but it was so so so, so, so beautiful to me, and that was one of the first times that a hymn had just jumped out to me personally. When the power is less like, "Oh my gosh, what an insane vocal that Adele just sang," or "That's a really insanely beautiful melody, you know, or that's such a great you know, three minute just jam, it's fast and it's up tempo. It's like content can have its own gripping power. It's like, yeah, right. And I think hymns kind of give space for for that, but I also yeah. appreciated about him he wasn't like only hymns ever, right, because I think some people can just get super cranky. Be like, there's no room ever for any kind of praise chorus or any kind of... I don't like the splitting, like when it's dualistic, when it's like either or. I think I think there's got to be a balance.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah, he mentioned o praise the Name, some modern worship choruses. Yeah. From what I know of you, you know, as long as we've been friends, I know that you like desire and hunger for like a rich literary word, mm-hmm. you know, through poetry. So I would think that hymns would be like your jam. Right. Have you ever tried writing a hymn like a classic four stanza hymn
2: i honestly not really though i will follow the song i released i will follow like four or five years ago it's got like six verses to it yeah and it doesn't tell us it kind of tells a story but because it starts with like it starts in the middle of life and it ends in death so in that sense it kind of has an arc but what's funny is the form of a hymn feels very i don't know it just feels kind of archaic to me i think that you can do the same thing that a hymn does and have rich content in a song yeah, um, And it almost feels like it's harder because you're working with fewer
0: words. Right. So what is it that classifies a hymn versus a song?
2: I was just thinking about that. I think what classifies as a hymn is like multiple stanzas that take you from like beginning to end. Like,
0: like birth to resurrection.
2: Yeah. And everything in between. Though I'm sure there's people who are much smarter than us that can kind of define it specifically. But I think of certain hymns like I Surrender All kind of praise chorus. Right. I surrender all. I think when people say hymns, what they really mean is like the hits. You know, Holy, 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 Amazing Grace.
0: Or like the era. The era, yeah. Songs. It kind of
2: feels a certain way.
0: Yeah, that is interesting. Because maybe the songs we're writing today, 200 years from now, will be a hymn.
2: hymn <laughs> Totally. Totally. I don't know. I know. Because there are
0: verses. And then there is a little like stanza, like a chorus. I guess what we have now, though, is like, you know, these big, long guitar interludes and intros and a lot of woes. <laughs> yeah.
2: I do think... Hymns have a way of helping us sing about things we don't normally sing about because Mm -hmm. people 100 years ago, 150 years ago, they were just naturally concerned with different things. So like he talked about eternity in heaven and this sort of like not yet figured a lot more prominently. Mm -hmm. I was reading a dissertation by the worship pastor at Bethlehem, baptist in minnesota john piper's church and it's very excellent we we should actually have him on the podcast he's very good but he talked about how he did a comparison between hymns and modern worship songs and basically he's not one of these people who's like hymns are all the best and He he's very much like us he enjoys both and likes to just serve the church in whatever way is going to help them the most but in his evaluation he said that 100 150 years they favored the not yet more than the already so we've heard that like the already and not yet. We are, we are saved now, and we have the full riches of Christ now, but there's also something that's yet to be realized. There's mm. a kingdom that is yet to be realized. There's justice that's yet to be realized. I'm not going to, in this life, become perfect. Like there's going to be things I'm going to struggle with. This sort of not yet, this longing for God to be here, Right. that was much more present before, whereas now it's very much like here Lord, you are doing something here and now, and I am alive in your presence. Very much like self-congratulatory. right? And those kinds of truths and singing that over yourself can be really great for your spiritual life, but sometimes it's just like, it just doesn't feel true. It just feels like, oh, I need words and I need songs to embody the longing that I feel most days. The fact that I don't feel like being a Christian today, or I don't feel like I believe these things, or I don't feel like... I can love my neighbor or I, I've just, I'm surprising myself with the rottenness and things that are very much like yeah things that we talk about, you know, totally privately as friends or something. What he's saying is hymns actually used to put some language to that corporately. So people would come and be like, Lord, just to be nearer to you, Lord. Mm-hmm.
0: But that is really interesting though. Cause there are a lot of songs that are very much like what you're doing right now. Yeah. You know, almost as if like what we're experiencing now is the climax. Exactly. Like this is the end. But that's just not true. But it's not true. No. Wow, that's really fascinating. I've yeah. never thought about that.
2: Yeah. So I I think hymns help us help us to do that. He talked about the love language of the church, and I I like that concept. The love language was the was it Gary Chapman? It was the Smash. It was like the big Christian book from like twenty years ago.
0: Oh, the five love languages. Five
2: love languages. It was like pre-Jabez. Wow. Prayer of Jabez. Yeah. And then
0: it was before Enneagram like blew up before like Enneagram. it is now
2: it was like the, it was the Enneagram for our parents' generation, yeah, but it was helpful. five love languages it's like, is it quality time, is it words of affirmation, is it gifts service service it's like it's interesting to think of a congregation as having a love language. I think of a story, I remember i I had coffee with a young worship leader, probably seven years ago, eight years ago. And he was like a freshman in college and he'd been hired by a church, small church, to kind of lead. And he was super into just what was hip at the time, hillsong song, passion. But the church had been doing hymns for like 20, 30 years. And he was the grandson of somebody who went to the church and was the only one who wanted to do music. And so like, the sweetest kid ever. But like, he's like, why isn't this working? I'm bringing it, you know, the band's rocking it. We've got two guitar players. And I'm like, I'm in town, man. I'd love to come visit just to hear. So I went and it was it was really rough because there was a lot of people who clearly, you know, if if we said this is a passion song, they would think you're talking about like passionate. Like yeah. they've been singing hymns and then he came in and led worship and it was like super loud yeah. and it was rocking right? and they were clearly very uncomfortable and it was just, there was a dissonance. Mm-hmm. He, he needed to know that this wasn't their love language. Yeah. Like there, there yeah. needed to be like a, one or two or like yeah. 15 steps before they get. Yeah. And I think that's really important. Like serve your body, try not to take too many cues from Yeah. the big names.
0: That's interesting. I see that in the Facebook groups all the time. People mm. say and they blame it though on the people. Mm. They're like, you know, this isn't working. People aren't engaging because they need to get with it. Like they oh need to gosh. they just want me to play these old hymns and I'm like bringing what's new and current and they just need to like get with the times.
2: Oh my gosh.
0: And they blame it on the people, you know, not, you know, being old and not hip.
2: My spouse is not receiving my love. <laughs> it's therefore their fault yeah, right. for not receiving it. It's like, "Well, what are you doing?" "Well, I'm super busy and I can't spend any time, but I send flowers every month." It's like, "Well, maybe it's maybe the love language is time and not flowers." Or so. it's like
0: Yeah, that's interesting. And none of them are right or wrong over each other. They're just different. And so knowing your congregation yeah. and knowing what what is it? What's the meal that they need to be served? What's going to serve them?
2: Mhm. I appreciated his, his focus on like, mm. the theological journey, because I think that leaves room for some of the more practical elements to be different. What are we singing about? Are we singing about the gospel? Are we singing about the Trinity? Are we singing about God's love for us? Are we singing about heaven and hell? Are we singing about—these are great questions to be asking, because I think, yeah, in that, you can kind of, you can kind of do a lot. right There can be a lot of room for variation there.
0: Which you and I have talked before, even about like holidays, like Christmas. Yes. Gives you such a great opportunity to visit subjects and themes and even old songs that you don't the rest of the year. And we should be actually enjoying that, like totally drinking all that in instead of dreading it, which I think that's kind of also the same thing with hymns. Yeah, 100%. Like it gives you another way to explore these themes and ideas that maybe you wouldn't get out of a normal song on the top CCLI twenty.
2: And if you can kind of re-explore words. There's like words like diadem. Yeah. Words like Royal Ebenezer. Diadem. Yeah. It's like these are not things that are in our normal vernacular anymore. I personally appreciate it. As somebody who loves words and loves right. But
0: um I thought it was interesting when he was like he started the whole thing at the top where he's like worship leaders are not necessary. That was awesome. He's like, if you're not up there helping people sing, then why are you up there?
2: I like that. It really clarifies the role. Yeah. You know, you're not there to be something special in and of yourself. You're there to facilitate something, which again, I think every worship leader would agree, Yep. but I think in practice, it's easy to kind of feel like you get thrust into a role maybe sometimes. Yeah.
0: That's interesting. I was talking to someone last week who said they don't like the term worship leader Mm -hmm. because that kind of just implies that you're just a song leader you know just mm-hmm. hit and play on the karaoke tracks or whatever yeah that they, they prefer worship pastor because you need to be like uh, pastoring and leading you know with emphasis that's cool people but it makes me think with this he's almost saying like i don't know maybe i'm misunderstanding it is he saying that we actually should be there just lead people through the song like get people singing like you're mm-hmm. a facilitator you don't have to like get involved in like the sermon and and preach and pastor Am I hearing that differently?
2: I mean, I think he's saying that like the best way to pastor your people is by just getting them to sing. And I think what he's more saying is that it's it's less of a solo and more of like a facilitator. I don't think he'd have any issue with the worship pastor per se.
0: But you're not up there to perform. For them to watch you and adorn you.
2: Yeah. Like the singing a song over the people, I, I don't think he would be down for that. I don't think that's like... In a church service, I don't think there's room, the way he's describing it for like, we're just gonna sing the song over you for a moment, which I I would have to think about that. I personally feel like there is room for that in our modern modern services, but maybe I'm wrong because Keith Getty is a lot smarter than me. I mean, I've thought about singing in terms of what I always say is we sing because God doesn't want us to just recite true things about him. Like if it's all Mm. about truth, if it's all about content, then why, why use melody?
0: Yeah, why not just say it?
2: Why not just say it? But he doesn't say, just recite true things. He says, sing. So then it begs the question, Mm. well, what is the physiological and psychological component of singing that God knows does something to us? Mm. And I guess what I've always thought about is like, songs activate our affections, they activate our emotions. When you're singing, you're not really thinking about other things, so it focuses our attention. And it's also vulnerable for a lot of people. Even for me, I'm a professional singer. Mm-hmm. And for me to get up and sing for people is very vulnerable. Even sometimes we're at, you know, yeah. parties or something and people know that I'm a they're like, Oh, John, you know, a few times friends have put me on the spot. Oh, dude, there's like twelve people. Yeah. John, you wanna sing a song? Yeah. And it's like, I wanna punch them in the face of that it's like, yeah. no, because it's vulnerable, even though I'm like, Well, I do this for a living. Like this right. is But there's something vulnerable to for people to sing, especially for people who don't yeah. do this for a living, it puts them in a vulnerable place, which I think Church is meant to be filled with vulnerable people. Like, we're not supposed to come hard. Yeah. And so I think that that's kind of a component that maybe God softens people up. Yeah. God wants us to be porous and soft and not just. Yeah. I love that he says singing is important. You know, he says we're commanded to do it, we're created to do it, and because we're compelled to do it. And in that, I think there's also some elements of just like, we're not supposed to just be saying true things.
0: Hmm. I was thinking about, yeah, compelled. Like, people love to sing. Yeah. Even if they're not good at it. Everyone wants to be like on American Idol or they think they could be. It's almost like birds like naturally just sing. Totally. I feel like it seems like most humans, like maybe they would never admit it, but they've hummed something at least. Yeah. You know, privately. Oh, for sure. They sing in their car in the shower or whatever. There is like a natural desire to sing something instead of say it. Why do you think people don't sing at church? I think. I mean, there are some churches where people are singing like crazy.
2: I know I mean, I think his point is that sometimes people feel alienated by the the manner in which the singing happens, like they feel alienated from the style, or maybe they feel alienated from the key it 's too high, too low, or maybe the singers are so fantastic on stage that they 're just like, I just want to listen mm-hmm. which isn't the fault necessarily of the people on stage, but it's you know I think it 's something you have to teach them to do at least in a liturgical church context um, people sing happy birthday all the time. So when somebody starts it, everybody jumps in. But if somebody started singing, let's say I invented a song for like, you know, your first day of work and on somebody's first day I started singing it, nobody would join in because they don't know the song and that's not like culturally, there's no precedent for like a first day of work song or your anniversary of work, like this is your work. Anniversary day, let's all sing an anniversary. It's like, so maybe sometimes it's like that we're constantly teaching people new songs that they kind of like, it's hard for them to catch up or something. I don't know. I've been blessed to be in a context where people generally sing.
0: Yeah, they love to sing. They love to sing. Yeah, it's interesting how he just talks about the difference. Well, we, you know, we're talking about spoken word versus singing, mm-hmm. and maybe how like that actually activates something in your spirit mm-hmm. or helps you to deeply absorb things. I think about like my wife when she was like studying for the bar exam. She mm-hmm. like put some of her note cards to a song, and that actually helped her remember it. That's and, cool. So when you think about like singing in church versus like a sermon and what are people are walking away with. Yeah. Sometimes I think people can remember the songs more than what they just heard. Mm. Like what was the song that you really liked at church versus the question, what was the sermon about? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. People may not be able to remember even a week later. Oh, for sure. But they remember a song.
2: Songs go where maybe other truths can't go in people's lives. Songs are like companions. Songs are useful to people in a way that I think Sometimes reading propositional truth can't be in certain seasons. And I think that function that songs have privately, they, they also have corporately. I also like how he said, Preaching is expository exaltation and singing is melodic exaltation. Like These are two sides of the same coin. And I do think that when a song does its job well and serves people well, it lets people kind of engage with the expository word, like the preaching in a way that they couldn't otherwise. Anyway, Keith. Wow. What a solid dude.
0: Yeah. I'm thinking about what you said there about songs are companions. Mm. It's such a beautiful idea. Mm. I was just thinking yesterday I ran into like just a, a song that I had not heard in like five, ten years. Mm. But it immediately brought me back to like a season in life when I was in college that I listened to the song over and over oh, and over. Totally. It was more than a friend by Jeremy Riddle. I don't know mm, if you've ever heard. I don't. Uh-uh. It. But songs really do walk with you through seasons. Mm-hmm. And I know that I read books during those seasons, and I have no idea what those books were. Wow. But I remember the song. Hmm. Songs do get to a deeper spot inside of you. I have this vision of just like like if your soul is like concrete, like reading a book maybe can like kind of like sit on top of the concrete, build layers on top. But like songs are like water. They can like get into the cracks of the concrete and go like deeper below the concrete mm, surface. And like that's awesome. a song is like liquid in that sense. It reaches a totally different level. Totally. What a cool thing for worship leaders that we get to like be a part of that. And for you, like as a songwriter, I mean, you're writing songs that like churches can use that I know have impacted a lot of people. You know, even your song, I Will Follow, I know has meant a lot to my wife and I. Mm. we had you play that at our wedding Mm -hmm. because it just means a lot to us in many different ways more so than any book that we've jointly read Mm. and i'm not trying to like trash on books because books are awesome and they do their own purpose but there is something special and unique about a song so yeah keith thanks for these thoughts thanks for (laughs) thanks
2: for the great songs
0: yeah thanks for the great songs thanks for joining us on the loop community podcast music from this episode is brought to you by john gara from his album little songs make sure you check it out on apple music or spotify if you enjoy listening to this podcast leave a review and a rating it means a lot we'll see you soon.